Welcome to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. This podcast tackles the hottest topics for the European accountancy profession. Get your need-to-know update from Brussels. This time, we continue our discussion with Angela Foyle, Chair of Accountancy Europe's Anti-Money Laundering Working Party. In the last episode, we talked about the EU's Anti-Money Laundering Action Plan, its strengths, weaknesses, and why it's needed. Here, we go into the role that accountants can play in anti-money laundering, or AML, and the effects of COVID on financial crime. There's a lot of misunderstanding on the role that accountants can play when it comes to anti-money laundering, how the profession is seen by many, how it should be behaving. Meanwhile, what in fact the profession can do in a proactive way to roll out the anti-money laundering action plan that the principles are being followed. It's a broader role about looking at the intention of the law and not just complying to that law, but to think about a little bit further back to what came before it. Accountants have two primary areas, one of which is the one that you've referred to, and I'll come on to that in first, but there's a first step. The accountancy profession, like banks, like lawyers, like real estate agents, they are within the regulated sector. And so each accountancy business has a responsibility to ensure that they comply with the money laundering regulations, to ensure that they do appropriate know your client and and client due diligence, to understand the clients that they are dealing with, and where appropriate to either refuse to act for them, um, which hopefully is something that's quite rare, or Um, where they identify something to submit a suspicious activity report in accordance with local law. So there is the same responsibilities as there would be for any other part of the regulated sector to understand your client, to understand its business sufficient that you can identify unusual activity in that client that may be indicative of money laundering to make appropriate reports in that case. And then further uh, under the code of ethics, where we believe that the person that we are dealing with would challenge our code of ethics to actually resign from that activity if we cannot regularize the position. And that would be the first area. The second is the more public responsibilities of accountants, because accountants and auditors are often compressed together, as in, you know, sort of the audit role is often seen as being a much overarching role than it is. And the classic role of an auditor is actually to oversee the financial statements and to ensure that those financial statements present a realistic and appropriate view of the financial performance and solidity of that company. Over a restricted period of time, no less. I mean, it's it's usually uh, each year. And, And within that, accountants will look at the systems and controls and they will look at other areas. So they have in certain bodies, they have um, responsibility to ensure, I think it's public interest entities, they have to discuss non-compliance with laws and regulations under the international auditing standards. And also in in, in all cases, they have certain responsibility in relation to working to look at systems and controls to prevent fraud, um, where that would be material to the financial statements. There can be a misunderstanding that this means that 
everything will be identified as opposed to items that are material to the financial statements. And there will be times when things that perhaps were material are not identified. And at that point, there needs to be an investigation as to why. I am not an auditor, so I won't go into that in any more detail. There are certainly um, papers and discussions on that elsewhere within Accountancy Europe by people much more qualified than I am. However, as part of this, as part of the public role of accountants, within the profession as a whole, there are the skills that may assist in the fight against anti-money laundering. And this could be forensic skills where there is actually um, some uh, suspected wrongdoing or fraud, which can help investigate that. It can be, as is the case in Germany, where actually the, the annual audit requires of banks, and certainly of banks, and it may be of other large financial institutions, require the auditors to, to make a report on the anti-money laundering systems and controls. It may be you know, slightly different to that, where certain supervisors and regulators across Europe will um, engage with independent accounting firms to carry out skilled persons reviews to ensure that businesses are complying with their obligations under the money laundering regulations, either because they have concerns or just as a matter of routine checking. All of those are skills and services that accountants could use in, you know, sort of to assist in promoting the public good and also better compliance culture within organisations. They are not necessarily the skills that an auditor will have. So it may well be that in order to do this, you need to have multidisciplinary teams with people who understand the regulations and the systems and controls that should be in place. Those that ensure that those systems and controls are working at appropriate, such as an internal auditor. Those who have forensic skills or other skills that may aid um, investigation and where there may be a need for enforcement. So I think it's it's looking at, you know, as, as a profession, there are a series of different skills that could be built into multidisciplinary teams, which could greatly enhance um, AML compliance across Europe. But there will be a cost to this. And, and there needs to be a grown-up conversation around the costs of this type of assurance and the benefits thereof. And you know, in many cases, if we look at some of the scandals, the, co the, the cost of having such a model may very well be significantly cheaper than the cost of trying to put it right after something has gone disastrously wrong. So you know, that also needs to be considered because if you look at the fines that have been paid by European businesses for money laundering or sanctions failings over the last 10 years, it runs into the tens of billions, particularly because of the US enforcement actions. It's, it's also true that um, if the EU wants to get serious about tackling uh, money laundering and financial crime is that they do need to put their money where their mouth is and have the investment necessary to put in place the right structures and the right yes. um, uh, safeties so that it can be effectively stopped. Because it feels like if there is this initial investment in setting up a robust system that can expand to accommodate new players on a principles-based 
based uh, definition, until that virtuous cycle gets going, it will need to prime the pump. And so, yeah, um, making sure that there is the proper funding is is definitely essential. Yes, and that, that will be a cost because actually to set up a supranational EU level regulator with appropriate skills, because actually I think we haven't really touched on this, you can't have just a single, well, you could have a single regulator, but they need to understand the different businesses within the regulated sector. Because if you had, for example, the European Banking Agency, which has enormous knowledge about how to regulate banks, um, that wouldn't necessarily understand how a two-partner accounting firm in Nicosia operates. And it you know, and, and, and it may well be that it, the way in which it approaches things might be like taking a sledgehammer to crack a nut. So there has to be the knowledge, you know, sort of a multidisciplinary, effectively, supervisor that understands all of the different parts of the regulated sector sufficiently to apply the rules consistently but appropriately across and proportionately across that regulated sector, which is it has some huge differences you know from a major international bank which would have um, correspondent banking which you can transfer money within milliseconds which is dealing with hundreds of millions of transactions a day to a high value dealer in Antwerp for example who does two transactions a year that would fall within the regulated space so it's you know you do need to have that wide scope and mm. understanding because you can it's quite clear that the approach for one will not work for the other and it also needs to understand things like the professions lawyers and accountants because actually lawyers and accountants their business model were not mini banks there tends to be a much closer dealing with a client business and so rather than identifying transactions, i.e. flows of money that cause problem, it will be the client's activities as a whole, what it's actually doing that may trigger that concern. That could be because we don't understand something in the accounts, which leads to perhaps the fact that there's been false accounting, or it could be that, as I've seen in the past, where the business itself, you can't necessarily understand commercial rationale for that business, which may be indication that actually it's not all that it seems. And, and I think it's really important to understand how, how criminals use each part of the sector to understand how best, first of all, to shape the legislation, but also how to regulate those businesses. You know, what are the risks that we're trying, what are the risks posed by those sectors and how can they be addressed? And I think that Accountants Europe is in a very good position to act as a conduit for the information and 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 in to help the European Commission interpret it as to where the risks might be within the accountancy profession, given the huge the coverage across the whole of Europe um, that it has. That's exactly where my next question was going, which is as Accountancy Europe, we have, as you were saying, a very 
interesting role where whereby we have the connections to the accountancy federations of each member state of the EU, well, mostly, but and and also that there does seem to be perhaps not the fullest extent of understanding about how the profession works vis-a-vis uh, -vis anti money laundering and perhaps more understanding needs to be brought to the legislators on how accountants do fit into this this larger action plan. So maybe we can talk a little bit more detail about that, the role that Accountancy Europe can play in helping to create a robust uh, action plan for AML. There's two or three ways it can. The first, it can, uh, first thing it can do is actually, which it does in a number of areas, is act as a thought leader. So actually putting together papers that set out the principles and the thought process behind it. And there have been a number of examples that, uh, that Accountancy Europe have done in, in, a, in a range of areas where it's acted almost as that thought leadership piece. The second is, uh, as it already does, it's a bridge between the profession and the EU. So it is the body which can speak to the EU, bringing together the views and comments of its members and putting that perspective across. And by that, it's not necessarily, it's not saying that they're bringing across the views in a lobbying sense to get special treatment, but actually more in a sense of saying, actually, that's not how an accountancy firm works. This will not work for an accountancy firm. Yes, it might be absolutely fine for a gambling business, but that's not yes. what we do. And um, so it's that that um, that aspect of it. So acting almost as the, the bridge and the conduits between you know, the 51 bodies that are members and the EU Commission. I think the other one is is engaging constructively because you know, there, there has been quite a lot of criticism levelled at accountants, accountancy firms over the last five years. Much of, you know, sort of many of the comments made, it is hard to challenge you know, in their entirety. They may not be entirely fair, but you know, there's, there's, you can't say that the person making them is wrong because there are grounds for making those kind of comments. And it's so it's accepting that there are failings or have been failings within the profession, but engaging constructively as to how best to manage that and actually bring the best of what accountants can offer to, in this case, the fight against economic crime, which, as I say, is, you know, sort of both the responsibility of the firms themselves to act as effective gatekeepers and and um, not become either, I would say, inadvertently engaged in money laundering, as has often been the criticism that you know, we set up, we give tax advice or we get set up structures that are used by criminals. But yeah, but that rather we look at our wider obligations to the community in that respect, but, but also that part of where the accountants can actually add a layer of assurance and I would use the word assurance, not audit, to the, 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 the application of the regulations and how they are operated by the regulated sector. So over this most recent period, I think we might be remiss not to uh, mention the COVID-19 and the impact it's had on every aspect of, of society. And I'm sure it's no different with um, money laundering. Have you seen any increase in financial crime uh, due to COVID-19? And if so, what, what kind of examples uh, are out there? 
the, I mean, it's probably fair to say that the Financial Action Task Force have published a really good paper on um, which pulls from multiple sources the nature of how COVID-19 has impa impacted financial crime. But I think some of the examples that that our firm and other firms that I talk to um, through the various bodies that I sit on um, have mentioned are investment fraud, for example. I mean, it's not directly related to COVID-19, but one impact has been a reduction in interest rates in order to stimulate the economy. And as a result, you've got a number of people who are perhaps on fixed incomes and are looking for types of investments that might increase increase the yield from their um, their assets and criminals are aware of that and there's been a whole series of people you know trying to scam for a better word the unwary into investing into vaccine businesses that really don't exist or cryptocurrency you know make get you know sort of make money quick type schemes and others so that's one area and that's one that accountants do come across either because their clients have been adversely affected or in some cases because would-be fraudsters may seek to get some form of um, advice from an accounting firm and even in order to use the name to give credibility to the scheme that they're running and it's one that on the client due diligence side within firms you have to be really alert to. There have been a series of schemes on the various government support schemes that have been put in place, be that the furlough schemes where businesses have put staff on furlough without telling the staff. So the staff continue to work, but the businesses um, you know, recover the, um, you know, sort of the, the funds from the government you know, fraudulently. And there's certainly been a large number of reports around that. There are supply chain frauds. It's perhaps it's um, fading away a bit more now. But in the initial phases of this epidemic, where there was there were shortages of critical um, equipment, large numbers of people were claiming to be able to provide um, either personal protective equipment or other things that were required. And either, you know, in some cases, this just didn't exist. And so the money was paid, but no goods were delivered. In other cases, they, it, the goods were delivered, but they were completely substandard. And again, that may be something that accountants come across from time to time because the businesses that set up you know, want to get an accountant on board to give credibility to this. And, and you've just got to be so careful not to allow your name to be used in that way. The other thing that there has been a massive increase on is in the types of what, it, they're not really cyber frauds, but they are frauds exploiting the fact that with business models changing overnight to everybody being at home, the normal systems and controls that people have in relation to payments, in, in relation to um, dealing with customers, in relation to their own in, uh, software, are it took some time to catch up. So you've had hacking, increase in hacking attacks. You've had ransomware attacks. You've had 
endless numbers of what are called mandate frauds, where effectively someone's told, oh, by the way, following the COVID, we've now had to change our banking details. Now, please pay to here. And it's completely the wrong person. And also because you're not in the office, you can't necessarily get hold of the person you'd normally telephone to say, have you actually changed your bank account details? So wherever there is disruption, criminals will take advantage of it. And they have been shamelessly exploiting every single piece of the disruption that's occurred through COVID-19, in some cases in ways that have probably cost lives. It's really shocking to think about the extent to which crime has infiltrated any new scheme or any loophole or any gap that it might find in in the market, but also somewhat encouraging that so much has already been identified, found, and hopefully prosecuted because as fast as crime is moving, we also seem to be getting better at catching up. We only know what we know. I mean, there is um, there was a an Irish terrorist organization who said, you have to be lucky every time. We only have to be lucky once. And that's the problem with, you know, sort of the fight against financial crime. The criminal only has to be lucky once. We have to be lucky every time. So, you know, it's it, it's to and from. But I think it, uh, one of the things that's been really encouraging, and if you, anyone who reads the Financial Action Task Force report will see this, is the level of international cooperation and sharing of information that's already taken place so that jurisdictions and others are letting each other know of things when they discover them, which does help. Um, and I think that also you know, shows, and, and certainly in some countries, there's been huge amounts of work done with the regulated sector, particularly the large banks who've often come under huge criticism in order to share information and try and, and, and disrupt this activity. And for that, they should be praised. To try and end things on, on, a, on a positive note, that might be a good place for, for um, us to pause this discussion, is the fact that thanks to data sharing, thanks to more cooperation and working together, we do have a good chance to, to fight the, this fight and improve the situation when it comes to anti-money laundering and to financial crime more broadly. Maybe if you want to leave us with uh, just a final thoughts on, on where we're, we're going with uh, AML from, from your perspective. Well, I, I think it is really positive. I think what's really positive about the activity at EU level is that there seems to be a genuine desire to engage. And I think that is to be commended because None of us have all of the answers and we never will have, but by engagement and by collaboration, we have a an opportunity to create something that is much more effective than if we all sit in our own silos. So I am heartened by that. That's a wonderful note to end things on. So thank you very much for your time and uh, hopefully we'll speak again soon when there's more to say on this topic. Okay, thank you. Thanks for listening to Because People Count, the Accountancy Europe podcast. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or review and subscribe. We're available on iTunes, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. Get in touch. We are at AccountancyEU on Twitter, and you can contact me at Andrea at AccountancyEurope.eu. This podcast is presented and edited by Andrea Campbell with help from Elida Nijar. Our music is Fearless First by Kevin MacLeod under a Creative Commons license. See you next time, because people count.